Good evening. It's quarter past ten. And this is quietly yours. three sailors have found themselves shipwrecked. They have nothing to rely on but each other. That is, if they can trust each other at all. We've also released a new bonus story called The Ghost Signal over on QTLYFM, which is our feed of bonus material exclusively for our supporters on Patreon. But we've made The Ghost Signal available for everyone as a sampler of what our patron feed is going to be like. So if you want to hear it, just search on your podcast app for QTLYFM. If you enjoy, you can sign up to make sure you get all future bonuses at patreon.com slash quietly yours. But with all that out of the way, it's time to dive into today's story, which is called Adrift. April 19th. We arrived yesterday, although perhaps arrived is too kind a word. I don't know what time it was when the rowboat washed ashore, but it was sunrise when we awoke. Having slept at all is close to a miracle, but the ordeal had been taxing, and we had been awake for so long. We tried to stay awake for the sake of vigilance and safety, but safety was never guaranteed, and we were exhausted beyond measure. We were not able to hold on and eventually our fatigues consumed all three of us and we slept, leaving the boat to the whims of the ocean. Thankfully, however, the waters were kind. After the storm, the ocean became calm and we were subjected to little more than some gentle rocking which, if anything at all, only helped to calm us. And it was during our slumber that our little craft drifted to the edge of the ocean and lodged in dense sand. The relief that washed over us upon waking was overwhelming. Although we had attempted to the best of our ability to maintain an illusion of optimism, I suspected that all three of us had privately accepted our fates and come to terms with their demise. Our sudden and surprising survival was uplifting and unexpected. Which piece of land we've landed on, none of us know. The climate is tropical and the flora is unfamiliar. As for the fauna, well, there hasn't been much to speak of. Aside from the distant sound of birds, I've yet to see another living creature. Whatever animals are here, they must be excellent at concealing themselves. As for people, the segment of coast we now inhabit is completely void of any persons. Whether there are communities to be found further inland, we don't know. The idea of heading in search of people has been discussed, but we've come to no decision yet. 
I think we're all nervous to leave the safety of the beach on which we're now settling in for our second night. We have succeeded in lighting a fire and constructing some basic shelter from the wind. The nights, fortunately, have been mild. Perhaps tomorrow we will know more. April 19th. My memories of the storm are unusual, in the sense that I don't have many of them at all. Pieces of the night come to me in flashes, with great vacuous spaces of nothing in between them, and I'm left to piece them together. But the fragments of memory that I do have are vivid. Some of the most vivid memories I have. The smell of seawater, the sound of wood straining, and the turbulent motion best described as... chaos. All of that is burned so deep in my mind, and I don't think I could ever forget it. But why can't I remember the moments between? April 20th. A lot of the storm was lost to me when we first washed ashore. It all happened so quickly that it felt like I hadn't the time to process it. But now that we've found safety on land, the memories keep returning to me. Brief flashes across my mind. Flashes of lightning, illuminating the grey sky above us. I remember the painful impact of the heavy rain, the heaviest rainfall I've ever experienced. I remember the deck of the ship, filling with water from the waves that crashed into our side, spilling over and filling our shoes. We tried to steer away from the worst of it, to weather the storm and arrive in calmer waters, but it was no use, and eventually we were forced to leave as it became clear that the ship wasn't going to survive. How we survived in the small rowboat, none of us can know. The storm must have calmed quicker than it seemed, or perhaps we were carried on an invisible current to a calmed patch of sea. Perhaps God took pity and guided our way. Whatever happened, I'm pleased to have made it to the safety of this beach. Despite all of this, however, despite all of our luck, I can't shake the feeling that we're only at the beginning of our most trying times. April 20th. The beach is calm. The sand is bright, almost white and warm. The sea laps gently at the shore, and the weather is remarkably reliable. Hot, humid, and unchanging outside of the nighttime when the air grows cooler, but never cold. There's perhaps 50 yards of this serene environment by the sea before the beach transforms abruptly into a wall of dense foliage. We forged a camp at the edge of this jungle. It provides some shelter from the wind and from whatever predators might be around, and there's food to forage. But any deeper into the plants would be a risk. There's no way of knowing what's in there. But it's been two days now since we washed ashore, and it's like an eternity. Our situation grows graver with each passing moment, and we need to find somewhere safe while we still have the energy to travel there. Yes, there could be dangers in there, 
but there could just as easily be dangers out here on the beach too. But deeper into the island there could be food, wildlife to hunt, or better yet, people, a population, a clue to where we are, people who might be able to help spread a message to those who might be able to rescue us. Is that likely? I don't know. I hope so. But I don't know. We have, however, very little choice. We must do what we must do. April 22nd. Sutton still insists on leaving the beach. He wants to head into the jungle, which is the only word I can conjure to adequately describe the thick ocean of foliage we face and march on until we hit some kind of civilization. I understand why he thinks this is the right way forward, but he's underestimating the dangers that could be lurking in those trees. We haven't the faintest idea what part of the world we're in or what kind of animals are native to this land. We don't know which animals are dangerous, which plants are safe to eat. We don't know anything. And I'm all too aware of what fate lies before us if we stay by the beach, but I don't see the jungle as a viable option in any way. It can surely only shorten the time we have left. Unfortunately, I think Stillwell is beginning to become persuaded by Sutton's arguments, and if he joins him in his death mission, I will have little choice. Our survival depends on our group. Together, we stand a chance, but alone, we will all perish. And in this unfortunate situation which we found ourselves, that sadly gives Stillwell the deciding vote. I hope he will make the right choice. April 22nd. I think we're going to die here. I've made a mistake. I've been wrong. So terribly wrong. Our days are hell. We spend our mornings fishing and collecting fruit, but it's never enough. We spend our afternoons working on the construction of a canopy we've been building to protect ourselves from the sun, but the heat is unavoidable, and all three of us have developed blisters. All the supplies we manage to smuggle onto the boat have been exhausted, and our only source of water is the ocean, which we've attempted to filter. It hasn't worked. But no matter how rough the days may be, the nights are worse. We've spent three nights here now, and each one of them has been little more than a stream of nightmares, flashes of images, the ocean spinning around us, thundering clouds and cracking lightning. But they all end the same. They all end with Henry. Henry was born seven, eight years ago? My history escapes me sometimes, returns to me in pieces, and not always in the right order. For too much of it I've been drunk, for too much of it I've been working. Henry's mother died in childbirth, but how was I ever supposed to handle that situation alone? It was impossible. If I didn't work, I couldn't provide. If I did work, I would be away. 
I had a brother with his own wife and children. It seemed best that they look after the child. Besides, I didn't offer them much choice. I left without word, only returning six months later after a long trip at sea. I haven't seen Henry in two years. I don't delude myself. I know our relationship is irreparably damaged. I know I can't fix it. But if we stay here on this beach with no water source, then my death in the coming days is guaranteed. I've accepted that for the most part, but what's gnawing at my mind, both waking and in slumber, is the idea that Henry might go to his own grave, never knowing that I wanted to try. To try to fix it, no matter how impossible it might be. He might think I don't care at all. I've made too many mistakes in my life already, and I'm not about to make another. If there's even a small chance of survival, no matter how remote, I have to take it. We have to go into the jungle. April 23rd. We've built a camp several hundred feet into the jungle, in what is proving a remarkably fortunate location to have found. We have adequate shelter, fruit to eat, and we're not more than half an hour from a fresh water source, which has been most instrumental to restoring our energy. We stayed here now for several days. We'll have to move on eventually. But the rest and the water and the food has brought us back to a feeling of relative health that I think we all expected we'd never feel again deep down. This is still a dangerous situation. We're by no means out of the woods. But for the time being at least, our spirits are lifted and we're able to look at the challenges before us with a sense of optimism. The main thing missing from our present encampment is meat. We would all love nothing more than to find some game to hunt down, but this portion of the jungle is unusually void of life. There's plant life, of course, but we've yet to see any animals. Not even so much as an insect. So far. And at night. At night, when you'd expect the sound of... something. Crickets, birds, or even just the splashing of nocturnal creatures coming out to drink and bathe. You'd expect to hear some sign of life. But there's nothing. Nothing but silence. April 27th. Circumstances have taken a turn for the worse. It's been five days now since we settled into our camp, and we've been preparing to move on. We're all feeling much stronger now that we've had plentiful food and water, and we've collected many supplies to bring with us on our journey. We've been rotating responsibility for gathering supplies, and today it fell on Sutton and I to travel to the river and bring back fruit and water. When we arrived we got to work, filling as many bottles as we were able to carry. And then we saw it. Some black, hairy creature poking out of the water, apparently caught on a rock. We approached it with caution, but we could tell from its movements that it was no longer alive. And then, as we moved closer, it became clear that it wasn't an animal at all. It was a head. The top of a human head poking out of the water, the rest of the body submerged. We hurried over, grabbed the poor man, and pulled him out of the water. 
There are no words to describe our horror when we found ourselves looking down at the mangled, rotting corpse of Stillwell, lying on the ground below us, a large hole smashed into the back of his skull, which now appeared completely hollow. Immediately I found myself asking why Stillwell was here, and how he was here. He had been at the camp when we left. How could he have beaten us here in time to have such a terrible accident before we arrived? But my questions were quickly halted by Sutton, who pointed out to me an uncomfortable truth. The body, he said, had been here for a while. The skin had changed colour as the blood had settled, the abdomen had bloated, and the amount of decomposition suggested that the body had been submerged for a while. He's right. The body has clearly been here for days. Free, at least. That would be my unprofessional opinion. But that begs an important question, because for the past three days, Stillwell has been with us at our camp. He's spoken to us, hunted for us, eaten with us, worked with us. But if Stillwell's body has been trapped rotting in that creek for three days, what have we welcomed into our camp? I never had strong sea legs. I never wanted any of this. It pays well, but it's dangerous. Is it really worth it? I've asked myself that every single time a ship has set sail, knowing that there's always a possibility that I won't be coming back. And if the worst happens, what will happen to those left behind? How will my family cope without me? Without what little income I bring? Will there be people who will help them? Or will the world just turn its back on them? Would they even know how it ended for me? Or do I go down with a ship in the middle of the ocean, never to be seen again? A mouldering body, never to be located, the secrets of its demise, never to be revealed. Every time we set sail, I think this. I ask myself if it's worth it. And every time I convince myself that it is. But every time it gets harder and harder to do so. And in spite of all that, I never thought... There was always a part of me that thought I would just walk away in the end. That I... I don't know. I didn't think. Not really. I didn't think it would end like this. Despite our observations, Sutton and I both deluded ourselves that we must somehow be mistaken. We thought that we would arrive back at camp, that Stillwell would be gone, that this whole thing was somehow some accident, that perhaps the water had sped up the rotting, that there was any logical explanation to what was happening. But we arrived back at the camp to find Stillwell crouched by the fire, preparing our food for our final night at the camp before we moved deeper into the jungle. Stillwell, I call him that, although I know now that he isn't Stillwell at all. Who was he? What was he? 
Whatever the answer to those questions, Sutton and I both knew that we couldn't eat anything he had prepared. In fact, we both seemed to be on the same page without ever exchanging a word. We both knew what had to be done. And so Sutton stepped towards Stilwell, into his eyeline, speaking to him, distracting him. And all the while, I sneaked up behind Stilwell, holding tightly in my hand the heavy, jagged rock that I'd carried all the way back from the river. I don't remember what happened next, but according to Sutton, I struck him five or six times, hard. When my memory returns, I'm sat by a fire, Stilwell's blood splattered all over my face, staring into the flames, my mind completely blank, my emotions numbed. The blood was a deep black, and as my memories slowly returned, I can recall the horrible, sticky substance spraying out of Stilwell's shattered skull, hitting me in the face. It was icy cold. We're murderers, I think. Are we? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think. I can't think. My head is clouded. I haven't slept since... Not since it happened. None of this makes sense. I wonder if I'm here at all. I wonder if I didn't die back there on the beach, if this isn't some kind of purgatory. Is that it? Is that what this is? Am I being punished? But I... I feel alive. This is real. It all feels real. I want to survive. I want to live. I want sleep. I need sleep. The creature imitated Stillwell flawlessly, and I keep coming back to that fact. Had we not stumbled across his body by pure chance, we would have continued on our way, with no idea that that thing was anything but our friend. What was it going to do to us? What was it capable of? I dread to think. And though the creature is dead, my mind still races, and I don't feel safe. If that... thing can imitate one of us so perfectly, trick and deceive without flaw, then what's to say it hasn't done it again? How can I trust that Sutton is really Sutton? How do I know his body isn't out there somewhere among the trees, rotting in the ground while his insidious doppelganger circles me like a shark before consuming its prey? It's clever, this creature, that much is for sure, and it's excellent at trickery. But it's not invincible. I killed one before, and I can kill one again. Kill? Am I really writing these words? Do these thoughts really circle in my head? Can I really kill Sutton, my friend? The only person I have... But if that creature has replaced him, I may have no choice. I have to do whatever it takes to survive, to stay alive, to return home to... I have to get back to him. I have to... Something has changed in Spriggs since we killed Stillwell. Initially, I put it down to stress, 
over the wreck, over surviving here, over, over Stillwell, or whatever was standing in Stillwell's place. But there's more to it than that. I can see it. I can see it in his eyes, deep down this strange and dangerous combination of fear and of anger. I can tell that he's been having the same fears that I have. I can tell. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. I can't remember his name. I want nothing more than to return to him. To get back home to my own country, away from this godforsaken place, to see my... I want to get back, but I can't remember his name. I haven't slept. I couldn't. I tried. I really did. But I could only lie on the ground, staring at the sky, my thoughts racing, my mind tangling itself up in thoughts. What if I'm right? What if Sutton is waiting until I'm asleep to strike, to kill? And then Sutton fell asleep. How could he? He must have realised. He must have known that the creature... Did he not suspect also? Suspect that I might be one of them? How could he sleep, knowing what that creature was, what it was capable of? Of course, maybe he was the creature... Maybe that's why he felt comfortable enough to sleep, because he knew he wasn't the one who was going to die. That's all that was going through my head all day. As we packed up our things, as we prepared to leave, as we discussed our plan and our next moves, as we began our walk, as I moved up behind him, as I raised the rock high, and then it's like my mind went completely empty, and I struck once, twice, three times, Sutton fell to the floor, his body limp, and I dropped to my knees. I struck again, and again, and again. What used to be his skull dissolved into a puddle of soft, pink paste, my face dripping in hot blood, I threw the rock aside and collapsed on the floor. I was wrong. It wasn't him. He wasn't. But how? That can't be right. The creature is here. It has to be. I know it is. I know it is because I can feel it. I can feel its presence. I... Henry. His name is Henry. How could I forget a thing like that? I don't know what to do with Sutton's body. I need a plan, but I... I can't. I can't think straight. I was so sure the creature was here. I can feel it. Even now, as I write this, I can feel it. Like a burning deep. Deep inside, it burns so badly, and... I feel it. I feel it inside me. Sutton, I'm... What have I done? I'm alone. What? What is happening to me? January 15th. This is it. The last one. I don't know what I'll do after. I don't know how we'll survive. Not yet. But I'll find something. There are plenty of opportunities if you look hard enough. 
But the time away from home, it's too much. I miss so much. This is it. Six more months at sea, and once this one's over, that's it. I'm going home, and I'm staying there. Knowing that makes this so much easier. It fills me with hope. We set sail in three days, and that day cannot come soon enough. You know you're living in a pandemic when a deserted island full of brain-eating body snatches actually sounds like a pretty good vacation. Adrift starred Mab's Beat as Spriggs and me as Sutton. If you're enjoying Quietly Yours, you can sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash quietlyyours. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on social media. Our handle everywhere is quietlypodcast. Or you can email us at quietlyyours at daffodillies.co.uk. Our website, as always, is daffodillies.co.uk slash quietlyyours. That's D-A-F-F-A-D-I-L-L-I-E-S dot co.uk slash quietlyyours. You can find all of our episodes over there. So, that's all for now. So until next time, I am quietly yours. And you are quietly mine.